0: Today on Behind the Headlines, we head up to the UP. Sherry McWerther and Garrett Ellison just got back from an eight-day trip covering all of the UP and all of the stories that they could find. We're going to dig into all of that next. As I said, our guests, Sherry McWerther and Garrett Ellison, and my co-host, as always, Vice President of Content. It is a a seven-day-a-week job that we do here, so we take no break after Memorial Day. John, how are (laughs) you, my friend?
2: I'm fantastic. I had a great Memorial Day weekend. I hope you did too, Eric. I did. Thank you. So that means uh, welcome to the first official behind the headlines podcast of the unofficial start of summer. Yes. So some of our (laughs) listeners will take issue with the calendar, but when it's 85 and uh, I'm out on Lake Michigan, it's summer.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it feels like summer to me.
2: (laughs) And that voice, friends, is one of our guests today. Uh, good morning to Garrett Ellison, uh, environmental reporter for Live. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. And his colleague, Sherry McWhirter, also an environmental reporter. Good morning, Sherry.
3: Good morning.
2: Hey, Eric, this is, I think this podcast is going to be close to your heart. I may be wrong, but, uh, <laughs> the focus of our podcast is the
0: upper peninsula. And Love I think, you, I think you spend quite a bit of time up there. I'm literally leaving tomorrow to go back up there. So yes, I spend a ton of time up there.
2: The, uh, the, the, better half, the, 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 future 51st state and a great place to be in the summer. Um, now I'm going to, I'm going to just run through some stuff here and, and you tell me if this was not the best company paid vacation ever, yes. a 1700 mile journey for Garrett and Sherry, uh, pictured rocks, Sioux locks, kitchen, a uh, Springs, uh, Copper Harbor to Falls. I'm, I'm leaving some stuff out and come back on the Badger, 1,700 miles. I don't know a week or more. What do you think of that, Eric?
0: Sounds awesome. Sign me up.
2: <laughs> but I think the the untold story here stories is that it was it was more than just postcards from the Upper Peninsula. Uh, we had a definite reporting purpose. And Garrett, why don't you just kick it off by telling us uh, what you were really doing uh, for a glorious week uh,
1: uh, up in the Upper Peninsula? Well, we were working long days. That's what we were doing. Uh, we we were uh, up at uh, seven a.m. and and working uh, multi multi stops per day. Uh, Sherry McWhorter did an amazing job setting up an itinerary uh, for us, uh, kind of crisscrossing the up. Um, you know, working on a mix of feature stories as well as uh, enterprise stuff. You know, and a lot of it is uh, you know yet to come. Hasn't really we haven't really finished the the story work on it, but yeah, I mean, the, the list of stops that you rattled off is definitely not all of it. Um, and, you know, it, but it def- it was very enjoyable. I don't mean to make it sound like it was all work. There was, I got to see pieces of the UP I've never seen before. So it was, it was a, a very nice um, experience and uh, Sherry and I, and as well as our uh, photographer, Corey Morse, you know, we you know we really enjoyed the time we spent up there. I have to tell you that
2: from the years that I've been at MLive, Live, especially since we relaunched, you know, the M Live company in 2012, uh, we've had a number of times that we've had to write about the Upper Peninsula, whether it was breaking news or or just you know some uh, important um, you know issue story. Our readers really take to the Upper Peninsula and to, to the readership to stories we do it never ceases to amaze me. And Sherry, what do you think the allure of that is?
3: Well, there's just something about the UP. It's uh magical and mysterious. And once you visit, you wanna go back again and again. Uh, I've already got plans to return at least twice more yet this summer. So um, it's, uh, it's a beautiful place. Uh, the people are interesting. The sites are phenomenal, and uh, there are plenty of stories to tell from the Upper Peninsula.
2: Well, I think that's a really good segue. Anyone who was watching MLive social media accounts, um, we're we're seeing these fantastic dispatches that you both were sending back, and you know some drone footage and photography, and it looked like the weather was great, and it really truly did look kind of like postcards from you know a, a, a great vacation in in the UP, but. Uh, You guys were there for a purpose. You're both environmental reporters. And I think, you know, there were some untold stories um, that will be coming, a little teaser for our listeners. But why don't you talk a little bit about some of the environmental um, issues and stories that you wanted to
1: cover in the UP? Sherry, you want to take that first?
3: (laughs) Sure. I wanted to uh, make sure that uh, we we packed in as many stories as we could. Uh, our initial plans were to be gone for for more days than we were. And uh, so, as Garrett mentioned, we had very long days trying to pack in as much as we could. I think on one day, we were at uh, Sini National Wildlife Refuge to look at uh, the loons there, the common loons. And uh, we carried on um, to Kitch Big Spring uh, after that. Then we went to Fayette State Historic Site uh, before then carrying back up northward to Pictured Rocks. And we did all that in one day, uh, (laughs) interviewing people and taking photographs all along the way.
2: Yeah. um, Go ahead, Garrett, but I'm gonna come back to put a pin in something she said, but go ahead.
1: Well, so the you know like we we really did jam-pack the days in order to you know kind of create a mixture of uh uh, sort of travelogue style feature stops uh visual sort of driven stuff where we were primarily getting the drone up getting great photos getting great video as well as enterprise stories where you know we need the visuals as well as you know interviews from on site um but you know stuff that you got to see for yourself um and so you know I I can, you know, elaborate on that, uh, further in a minute.
2: Well, I just can't let go the, uh, she she referenced the wounds uh, at the wildlife refuge. And that really was one of the more delightful stories, not just from your trip, but that I've read anywhere in a long time. And it was kind of heartbreaking too. (laughs) I, I didn't want to look at it too metaphorically. Uh, but, uh, there's a lot packed into that story and why don't you tell us how you, how you participated in the story and and what, for the sake of our listeners who might not have seen it, and I'll reference it in my column this week, I'll I'll put a link to it, but but what the story is and and how you being there helped uh, tell the whole story.
3: Well, the first time I ever heard about these loons and the research that was going on at Sini National Wildlife Refuge uh, was in 2006. I was on a reporting trip and uh, I learned about these these loons that were uh, apparently the, the oldest loons known in existence. Um, and they were being monitored by, by biologists. And I, I thought their story was fascinating. And uh, I wanted to make sure we worked in a, a stop on our reporting trip, just to check in on how they were doing. Uh, well, they'd been together- they interrupt
2: for, and say, it's a loon couple, right? It is,
3: it's a loon couple. Uh, loons known as uh, ABJ and Fay. And uh, they, they were together for 25 years, which is an extraordinarily long time for uh, loons to be uh, coupled together. Um, although research at Sini National Wildlife Refuge is actually uh, done there, was proved that loons don't mate for life. So um, that's, I guess, part of the story. And, uh, and as it goes, ABJ and Fay had an uncoupling this spring. <laughs> and we were part of the story because we were there to see them. Corey, uh, Morris and, and Garrett took some photographs and, uh, th- the bird that they photographed was able to be identified as, uh, I guess, one of two upstart young loons that had ousted, uh, the famous ABJ and Faye from their longtime home on F pool at Sini. And, um, that's how we learned that uh, they had been evicted and then they did not find each other. They, uh, they are broken up. And much to the chagrin of of bird lovers across North America.
2: Or soap opera fans. That was heartbreaking. (laughs) To hear about that. But, but I love the fact that you participated in in helping the researchers, uh, you know, uh, verify who, the who the loons uh, were and where they went and, and all that but what a great story you told there and uh, like i said i was the talker of the week last week uh, around the office staff
3: thanks very much you know some stories just write themselves and you can't help but get caught up in the in the drama it's uh it was a heartbreaker but uh you know also a delight
1: yeah it's a good story it was interesting uh you know a uh, Used to, used, am I still there, John? I had. I had a call in. Um, it was interesting being up there in the UP across the week. You know, and and Sherry's maintaining contact with uh, the uh, the researchers, and it's you know kind of this like, okay, well, uh, did they are they still together? No, well, they're still work trying to determine. We've got some more experts coming in, and they need their pictures. You are know, right? Anything that you can see the the tag. Uh, you know, at the back of the animal. Right. Yeah. You know, so look for for more through your pictures for more of that stuff. And so there was a lot of back and forth while we're there in the UP struggling with Wi-Fi signal and cellular signal, by the way. That was a real thing. Um, but Sherry did a great job maintaining contact with the researchers, you know, to you know, like trying to plan this out, making sure that we had the story, um, you know, and it was going to be up concurrently with anything that the, was on social media from the researchers and stuff. But it was a really interesting thing. Well, if
2: you looked at this, the social media feed, your personal ones and, and also um, lives, you were sending the dispatches back. Um, it, it a lot of familiar locations, but some some new views because you put drones up. And you got some great footage from drones. And um, how, how are you factoring that into your reporting? And you're flying those yourself, aren't you, Garrett?
1: Yeah, I uh, went through the process to become licensed uh, as a drone pilot this spring. Um, so that's uh, been a fun um, dynamic to kind of add to my skill set. Uh, I appreciate uh, that MLive helped me out with that. Um, and, you know, we were. We really wanted to get some, you know, like you said, a new view of some of these familiar locations, right? And uh, we worked with Michigan DNR uh, at multiple places to get sort of uh, to fly in a way that was supervised by the park uh, with, with their permission. Um, and, you know, make it, they asked us to kind of make it clear that, you know, we were doing that with their supervision. It sounds like, you know, drones as they become, have become more common have become, uh, you know, a nuisance in some cases at some of these more popular locations. So at Duquamanon falls, you know, the park supervisor mentioned like, so our new rules are, you can't launch from a, uh, platform where there's people, you can't fly over a pathway or something where there's you know, whether it's people, which are very obvious common sense uh, rules um, for when you're flying an aircraft like that. And so, you know, we you know, appreciate the DNR's uh, cooperation there and, and helping us get some of this imagery, which was really fantastic. It was, a, it was a fun thing to do. And
2: and that's where I really started to notice how well the weather treated you <laughs> because a lot of really clear views of, of some well-known locations in the Upper Peninsula. It, so another thing that struck me is, you know, this when you're at the Sioux Locks and you're talking about, you know, the officials there and you're, you're talking to the DNR people at uh, the Springs and at S- Assini, is the, the amount of coordination and planning that went into this. Sherry, uh, Garrett mentioned that you were highly responsible for the itinerary. Uh, when did you start working on this and and how did the list of stories come together?
3: Well, months ago is when I started working on it. Uh, we had kind of been spitballing this idea and, uh, uh, you know, working with our editors to plan it out. And once we got the go ahead, uh, the phone calls began and that was just, that was weeks and weeks ago. Um, so just, uh, connecting with, uh, both state and federal officials, uh, local folks, um, people who had stories to tell and, uh, setting up a an agenda sometimes it it didn't leave us a lot of time in each location we might have liked to linger a little longer in some of those places but uh we had an agenda to keep to and uh so we did um of course we had a couple cancellations along the way as will happen Mm -hmm. so maybe we got a little extra time to hunt for wolf tracks in the ottawa national forest and so it wasn't time misspent
2: well I know the original um, proposal was a longer trip, but we were afraid you'd come back talking different. So <laughs> we figured a week was about all we could spare, a week or eight days. I did see, I have, you know, there was uh, some substantive reporting about the Sioux Locks, um, it, how much is being spent to, to renovate the locks. Um, a little over budget. Uh, I think they use the word billion. It's um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a, a very big project. Yeah.
1: Billions in the plural now, it sounds <laughs> like. Yeah, um, yeah, we got to go uh, see the construction site where they're building, you know, the new lock uh, out of the two old locks that aren't used, and they're gonna, uh, you know, essentially twin uh, the large po lock, um, Poe lock, Poe lock. Um, where the large, which, which is right now the only lock in the Sioux that's even functional. Uh, the other smaller MacArthur lock is down for uh, maintenance. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a bit of a bottleneck up there. And so this enormous project has been going on uh, since the 19... Uh, well, it's been authorized and been talked about since the 80s, finally got a, enough money to, from the infrastructure bill to, to complete the the financial piece and accelerate construction. And now it sounds like the Army Corps... Uh, probably miscalculated um, the cost um based somewhat on um, inflation and uh, issues with labor uh, and supply chain. Um, but, you know, they were real gracious in, in being in allowing us to come check out the new construction site, get lots of really good uh, uh, photos, video, talk to people, interviews on site. And then we got to go see kind of like the lock master's view of the, the complex as there were ships going through. So if you go to the Su Locks and you see the large observation building on the
3: mm-hmm. far
1: side of the MacArthur Lock, you know, we were up in the tower there for quite a while. So that was really cool. And that was like day one (laughs) of this trip. Um, And, you know, it it really just got better from there. Um, One of the things that I was really excited to see was, uh, you know, this issue up on the Keweenaw coast um, that most people don't know about. It's called Stamp Sands. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's this uh, crushed Um, mine tailing. It's basically crushed waste rock from the copper mining process, you know, and it was dumped on the beach um, on both sides of the Keweenaw Peninsula, like a hundred, starting a hundred years ago. And over the last century, it's basically just eroded down the shoreline. It's covering up beaches. It's covering up uh, offshore fish spawning habitats. And it's, it's like a slow rolling environmental disaster um, that surprisingly, You know, not a lot of people realize you know you know has occurred and is still occurring. And when we got up there, we saw the the issue at multiple different uh, locations, right? We saw how like the Keweenaw uh, Bay Indian Tribe is dealing with it in Barraga We saw how it is at the Traverse River mouth, and then we went to this uh, small town named Gay, where the mine ruin is still there, and that's where the largest piece of these uh, this. Uh, stamp sands are, and it's like an apocalyptic landscape on the on the beach. It's really like if you were, you know, it, it, <laughs> I, Hollywood needs to find this, uh, you know, location and use it as a, you know, an alien landscape in a movie or something. It's it was something else. Uh, to well, be I saw there.
2: your images, and I was going to bring this topic up because I don't think the story has been published yet. No, uh, it hasn't. But, but uh, I saw the images from the social media f- uh, feeds. It looked like a moonscape to your point. Yeah. I mean, they could do the dune sequel uh, on <laughs> there it, because I was shocked. Uh, there's like no vegetation and it's not sand. Um, and that I also shocked that I've never heard about this.
1: Yeah. And that's part of what, you know, the point of the trip is to, you know, yeah, we were stopping at well-known stuff, but we wanted to get off the beaten path too. Um, there's a really neat, uh, State Park on the Garden Peninsula on the Lake Michigan side of the UP called Fayette Historic State Park, which has these magnificent light limestone well, dolomite limestone cliffs. That you know, I had a kind of a vague notion there were cliffs at this place. I was very interested in like the old mining ghost town that they've got there, mm-hmm. and then we get there and these these beautiful limestone cliffs. And apparently, and I've done some post some reporting post trip on the research into this. The trees that are growing from these cliffs are the oldest trees in Michigan. I mean, and and it's not well known. And there's they're like a thousand to fourteen hundred years old. Um, and Older than old our pines th- Oh, by by centuries. Wow. Um, and two or people three just times over. Under- yeah, people don't understand or realize it. And I think it's partly because the research was done in the 90s and sort of predates a lot of stuff that's, you know, commonly on the internet now. But um, yeah, that story is to come, um, you know, that was something we sort of stumbled across. Um, so, you know, getting off the beaten path was definitely a good thing for us.
2: I have to tell you, uh, as a kid, I lived in Sheboygan. So, you know, 11, 12 miles from, from Mackinac Bridge. have been to the UP a lot. Those, those limestone cliffs, it looked like Dover. I, I had never seen those. I didn't even know they existed in Michigan. So uh, that, that was a real Easter egg from, from last week, from the stuff you were sending back. Can you talk a little more about some of the other environmentally rooted stories that were behind the trip to start with and that our listeners and readers will be seeing in coming weeks? Sure. You want to take that?
3: Sure. Uh, one that, um, I've got coming up, uh... I'm hoping to get to sooner than later is uh, how youpers are living with gray wolves and they have for a number of years and uh, the federal status of that particular species is not settled. Sometimes it's on the endangered species list and sometimes it's not and uh, the one thing that's consistent is that people who live in the upper peninsula have to deal with living uh, in spaces that are Frequently occupied by these top predators, and it can be problematic for uh, certain farmers or ranchers. We spoke with uh, with one farmer uh, in Rudyard who loses dozens of lambs every year uh, to wolf predation, and you know he's in favor of you know being able to use lethal means if he sees a wolf uh, you know attacking and eating some of his livestock. Um, then there are others. Uh, we we spoke with another uh, farmer uh, on the western end of the Upper Peninsula who raises beef, and um, he solved his problem with wolf predation by bringing a couple donkeys to his ranch, and uh, the donkeys seem to chase the wolves away, hmm. and he hasn't had a single loss since he brought these donkeys to his farm. So. That's very interesting stories to tell, even about something like, uh, you know, wolf management in the Upper Peninsula.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, and, and there is, we we got to uh, another piece of, of this trip involved a stop at um, the Humboldt Mill um, Eagle Mines, Humboldt Mill um, mm-hmm. near Ishpeming right and so this is you know what was a mine that was very controversial when it was going in it was like the first new mine you know that had been open in the up in, in in decades um and you know so it's it's but it's that was that was controversy that since you know died down quite a bit over the last decade plus since the mine's been there um and the eagle mine um uh, and, you know, allowed us to come on site. They gave us a tour of the mill. We saw the ore crushing process, you know, from, from transport from the mine shaft to the mill. We followed it all the way to the point where it's processed in, into filter cake and sent to shipment, you know. And, and it's interesting is not a lot of people realize that that's the only domestic source of nickel, which is a critical mineral um, in the United States, right? Um, and, and that's become, you know, there's been a lot of attention paid to that, particularly in relation to the, the, the war in Ukraine uh, and how yeah. that's put a, a crimp on, um, you know, supply of critical minerals. Um, and so we're, you know, we're going through, we're, we're trying to tell some stories about, you know, like what's been gone what how's that worked out for the UP in the time since this mine has been around and how, what is what's going on with the supply of nickel from this mine and where does it go and how is it used? And right now it ends up more and more of that stuff is going into electric vehicle batteries. Right. And so, um, you know, which is an enormous push in Michigan right now, particularly from Gretchen Whitmer's administration. Um, So it's, you know, there's a lot of really interesting stories to tell in the UP. I'm I'm very glad we got up there. I have to say that, one thing that struck
2: me so far, and that's just one the limited uh, stories. I know you have more coming, but is both the access that you had and and the participation of you know, officials and, and both in private and in the fed, uh, government officials. Um, it, it seemed pretty open to, you know, you being there, your questions showing you around. I think I saw pictures from the bridge of the Badger, right? You got up on the bridge. I don't think they probably let me up there. <laughs> um with my cocktail you know so it, it, it tell us a little bit about about the, the the reception that you got
1: in these places you went well we were really well received uh you know everywhere and we did receive you know just just phenomenal cooperation from you know officials federal and state um and you know i can tell you you know uh uh since the administration changed Dealing with federal officials and their openness to be able to, you know, show us things like the behind the scenes at the Sioux Locks has gotten, you know, you know, <laughs> a lot easier. Um, and but, you know, the Badger is a private uh, private company. And, you know, we called them up and we said, hey, we're we bought tickets. We're, we were coming back on the Badger anyway, um, you know, and our trip is bringing us across the lake. Uh, could you would be willing to give us a tour on camera? You know, we can do a little video. Would you would could we get into the pilot house and talk to the captain? And they were real receptive to it. And, you know, the Badger is owned by a new company now. Uh, they interlake steamship uh, division of them. Uh, bought the you know ship a couple of years ago um, and they've been, you know, doing things like it's got a new paint job. Right. And mm-hmm. it's actually moving through the lake quicker. Right. <laughs> uh,
2: it,
1: it looked great. I and mean, actually, when I saw the pictures of it, it looked like a new boat yeah it, it i've never been on it before right and so that was a very you know interesting thing and we really appreciate the uh you know the company giving us a tour and showing us you know uh, places of the ship that most people don't get to see um you know they uh, the pilot like the ship is steered by an old school you know wheel like you would see on a sailing right. ship or something and they've got these chadborns which are these communication devices between the pilot house and the engine room that you see in like, like on the Titanic, uh, you know, like <laughs> these old movies, you'd see that, that thing that they used to, uh, you know, it, it's like a brass circular thing. Crank? where they, Yeah. They crank the knob for like to half speed or full speed and that sort of thing. And that that's what they're using. It's, it's a very historic ship. Right. And so, um, being, being able to see that stuff and, you know, it's the kind of thing that, you know, as journalists, we get that sort of unique access and, you know, you, you, when you're there, you really try to capture as much of it um, as you can on video or photo or, in, you know, in, in interviews in order to bring it to the readers and bring it to the audience, right? Because that's, you know, that's the purpose of what we're doing there. Right.
2: We're getting to the end of the podcast here. I just want to uh, ask you both, um, and this is almost from a tourist point of view, but what was your favorite thing? What was the, the most, the thing that you was either surprising or that you enjoyed the most uh, from your time in UP?
3: For me, it was uh, Copper Harbor. I just, I'd never been there. And uh, the views from uh, some of the uh, overlooks we were at, were, it, they were spectacular. Uh, I I didn't know Michigan could look like that. So that was the spot for me.
1: Awesome. Garrett? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a mix. I can't decide between the Fayette cliffs or the stamp sands. You know, I, I, I'm a, I love to walk through an environment like, you know, that like this apocalyptic environment to me, you know, it's not, there's not a natural beauty environment. Most people are not going to be drawn to that, but I am. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me that, that might've been the coolest piece. Well, I got to ask the
2: mayor of the UP, Eric Holcren, what's your happy place up there, Eric?
0: Oh, man. Um, I would probably echo what Sherry said. I would say Copper Harbor is probably one of my favorite spots to go for sure. Uh, But I would really, that trip around seems amazing. I would love to take that, follow in your footsteps and do that exact same route.
2: Yeah. And I I have to say, Sherry, Copper Harbor in October. Right. (laughs)
0: For Getting sure.
2: up the p Peninsula is mind blowing, and 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 then I, my my second is probably the Cut River in and, and in So <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been there. Though I tease you both about about this being a vacation. I know how hard you worked uh, on behalf of our readers, and I've been enthralled by the stories you've shared so far, and I look forward to the rest of them. So uh, thanks for the great. Uh, job that you did in the UP for our readers. And thanks for joining us today on on
0: Behind the Headlines. Thank you, John. I
1: appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having us.
0: And there they go. A huge thanks to Garrett and Sherry for their amazing reporting and the stories will be coming out uh, days and weeks to come. And as always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Till next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Culkin, and this is Behind the Headlines.